Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, and we got another interview episode for you during our pajama pandemic. Uh, we got Paul Phillips on the line. Paul's a three times world champion with the uh, Team USA F class guys, then what, like 11 time national champion, and three time king of two mile guy with uh, both with applied ballistics, and then your own team. With um, what is it, Global Positioning Group, right? Uh, Global Precision Group. Global yes, Precision Group. I'm my position. Yeah. I'm thinking of GPS. <laughs> uh, Global Positioning Group. Precision Group. Uh, and yeah. then you are you for all time for King of Two Miles, Paul. You are the all time uh, record leader as far as points go for King of Two Mile. Correct? Yeah, but, you know, there's there's they aggregate. Obvious, yeah, there's an aggregate out there. Yeah, floating around. Yeah, I've, I've I missed one year, the first year, but yeah, I've been doing pretty well. Nice. That, that aggregate, you know. Well, welcome back to the Everyday Sniper. We did an interview with you down at Raton. Um, might have been even just yeah. the first year we were we were doing the podcast um, during the King of Two Mile when I was down there. So you and I did a quick little interview there. So this will be kind of sure. like a where are we two years later with sure. ELR shooting and, and just shooting in general. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, it's it's growing uh, leaps and bounds. Uh, there's a lot of guys from PRS stepping over. Uh, you know, you got your Gap guys, Tom Manners, George Gardner, Brantley's coming over. Well, they we they, they some- saw what Brantley did, and Brantley kind of smoked a lot of you guys in a way oh, when yeah. uh, when you know. So now the PRS guys got that. You know, it, it it's always that that. Um, you know, trying to get the attention and trying to be out there and to do the next thing. Um, So the fact that, you know, you you had like Robert come in and and just light that day on fire or the couple days on fire um, down at Raton, it's sort of, it sort of like opens the floodgates for other PRS guys to go, Hey, Robert did really well. I should go do it too, because then, then they'll try to, you know, take some of the, some of the celebrity away from the people who have been doing King of Two Mile for so long with the, with the guys yeah, no, who it's, jump it's, in. It's, it's very welcomed and it's great. You know, it's great competition for, you know, we've got Palma guys, you know, you got longtime David Tubbs in there and, you know, Brian Litz and the AB team and, you know, the JJ. We got a lot of teams, uh, former military snipers, um, active guys in there. Uh, we've got a lot of different disciplines, PRS, ELR, FTR, uh, Palma across the course. So we got a variety of people that are coming together in the extreme long range game. And it's fun. It's exciting. We're supposed to have, what, 100, 100 teams this year at King of Two Mile. Obviously, with the virus stuff, you know, we don't know what's going to happen for time frame. But hopefully, uh, you know, we'll get back to shooting and, and get back to competing, get get back to the fun stuff. But no, ELR definitely is growing. You know, we got, let's see, Robert Brantley or uh, Robert Furlong, a Canadian sniper. You know, he's doing the King of Two Mile in Canada this right. year. And then we got, uh, um, I went to France last year, took second. They had a good turnout. And then we got Argentina, South Africa, Italy now is wanting to have an event, Ukraine, Russia. So we have a lot of countries that are, that are taking off. And there's a lot of chatter, there's a lot of weapons being built. You know, unfortunately, you know, the law passed just last week with Canada. So we're going to be looking at possibly, you know, I think they said 10,000 joules and below. That's going to be a whole new rule thing for them. So it's kind of a, we kind of got kicked in the teeth for Canada, but we'll see how that pans out. Yeah, that's, I mean, Canada's going to be, it, it, it's a weird thing that it's actually because of that energy, it's going to spill into what we're doing, um, which is odd, but. I would let's start off kind of go. I mean, everything's getting compressed. All these competitions, every, you know, nothing is is what we expected. Even if you go back to Shot Show in January, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's night and day where where we are today. But I think what you know, one of the conversations you and I had offline was where have things gone? What direction have you noticed in, uh, you know, between the competitor? between the equipment and the way you're seeing these competitions being put out there. So let's kind of take it from that, that three step, like you mentioned, you know, you, there's a lot of, of new blood coming into the ELR sure. crowd. 
What's the well, yeah. equipment looking like? What's the equipment change that's following these guys? Right. So um, about three years ago, we had a big meeting, and I think you were there at SHOT Show. We had this huge ELR meeting, and we wanted to establish an organization to come up with rules for, for world records and a standardization for size of targets and distances. And it just never took off, you know, so it splintered off into these segments. You got 50 calories association that are taking the ball and running with it with uh, King of two mile and uh, other organizations, uh, Georgia, Kansas, Spear Point, NRA um, has its own match with ELR central. So you have all these splinters that are segment segueing off in their own type of competitions and rules. They're very similar one of the things that I saw immediately when I was asked by the NRA to head up the uh, NRA ELR National Championships was there was a lot of people that didn't have these big 416s and 50 cals and 375 tags, and they didn't have the money. So I said, well, we need to offer a lighter class, kind of a midway point for people that have 300 Normas and 300 PRCs and 338 Lapuas and um, military style rifle calibers. And so I did last year, I offered that we actually had more participants in the 338 and lower caliber, which is called the NRA ELR light class. Um, we had actually more participants in that class than we did in the heavy class. And actually the winner, Raymond gross was shooting my 330, uh, 33 XC was the overall high score winner. So it proved through, out to 2,200 yards that the 33XC was actually a better caliber for that. So it was a kind of an eye-opener. Now, granted, the conditions were a little lighter, so that gave them a, a somewhat of a chance. But So this whole thing's evolving where you have these organizations that are spread around the country and the world, and they're trying to put together the right format for what we want to see in ELR. Now, King of Two Miles staying with just the one standard which that's Eduardo's, you know, he's kind of like the godfather of ELR, if you will. He was the first one started in 2015, and I don't blame him for keeping the same standards. That's fine. But other competitions around, just like PRS, you have different, you know, 22s starting out now and uh, these different uh, matches, depending on where you're at in the country. Um, that's the same thing in ELR. You have these different matches starting up at 22 ELR. We have the light class with 338 and below, and under 25 pounds, and, not, and then the heavy class. Now with these new restrictions that Canada has, now they're going to have to be forced to be in some type of, you know, energy limit with te um, below 10,000 joules. And just so everybody knows, that's equivalent to a 300-grain bullet going about 3,200 feet per second. That's about 10,000 joules. So kind of maybe a really slow 375 or a fast 338 caliper that's where we're at but so as far as the rules and standards go that's kind of where we need to evolve i believe we need to kind of come together and have some standardized rules for records and for standards for these matches um you know i'm not sure where it's going to go frank i can tell you this with the numbers across the globe more and more people are hitting targets farther and farther distances quicker so they're getting better ballistics they're getting better barrels they're getting better um, everything really, uh, everything's evolving scopes, accessories, um, barrels, bullets. Well, money, yeah, it's money, man. Everybody's sinking a ton right. of money into this stuff. So you're going to see, I mean, that's part of the deal. Like when you look at the PRS side of things and where the rifles and the platforms went for that, it was all the money poured into it. And now you guys are getting money poured into the ELR side of things. So you're seeing those rifles step up. Um, you know, and, and, and I do agree with the, the smaller, lighter calibers really should be promoted because as, as part of Eduardo's kind of mandate early, early on and what guys all talked about, they wanted an element of this to translate to a man portable system and not always be defaulting to crew serve, you know? And, sure. and, and so can one guy carry a platform from A to B, set it up and successfully engage a target at, you know, extended distances? And, sure. and, they, and they didn't want it to be truck mounted or solar. Cause I mean, think about it. If we had some, if we had a way, if there was a match barrel 
for an M2 and we were able to screw on a really good barrel on an M2 and then put like a solo mount like Kadex has those external solo mounts and different things like that. If you put on a really crazy mount, you put on a, a, a really, you know, a new barrel kind of deal and single shot an M2 with those, uh, those uh, you know, the, the mounts that they have on the vehicles where they can lock them down, your different T&Es and stuff. You can do quite a bit in a platform like that, but that's not the goal. They don't want to do it off yeah. a vehicle or do it off of something big like that, although they could have. But this is more yeah. to gauge man portability. Sure. You know, I think with our backgrounds being the Marine Corps, you know, and being around the sniper community for a long time and understanding what the abilities of these rifles can do and what they accomplish it depends on your task, right? If you're in a, in, if you're an infantry sniper platoon, and you're in rigorous terrain, you're not going to be carrying a 40 pound rifle. It's just plain and simple. It's not something you're going to do. But if you're in a platform on top of the building, in an urban hide, um, whatever the case may be, you may be able to get behind a 40 pound rifle, and you just you're doing Overwatch or something. So really, it's it's what what is what is our task, and then incorporating those those type of innovation and experimental and and prototype weapon systems to test them out in these competitions it's a great platform for that i believe though that we should have multiple platforms so that we can test weapon platforms for the lighter classes and for the heavier classes so they can be applicable to what we're, we're doing what our job task is you know and it also plays a role in hunters too long-range hunters not a lot of people want to carry a 40 pound hunting rifle they want to carry a 10 or 12 pound rifle or a 20 pound rifle. So I think that, you know, if you want to talk about a needs analysis for ELR, I think there needs to be a needs analysis done. And I think we need to kind of come together and focus on what we want to accomplish. Cause I think there's a great platform. There's a lot of people involved, a lot of smart people, a lot of world-class shooters that are doing this. And I think that if we kind of organize and come together, it can be a great, a great resource and a great tool for, the military and for hunters. Well, at, I, I kind of see the ELR crowd as being a little bit more mature in a way. And, 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 and I'm, I'm talking very slightly, not, you know, but, <laughs> but you know what I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is that it, it seems like the p approach that comes out always goes towards a sort of standardization with the, with the, you know, realizing or recognizing, however, you know, the realization they want a standardization mm -hmm. with the realization that platforms vary, missions sure. vary, where sure. I think sort of the PRS type events that gets looked at where they're pouring everybody into one bucket. It's all open and the open guys, you know, get to do whatever they want and they can go anywhere they want. There's no restrictions on weights and all these different things. Right. And in, in the production classes uh, that that are meant to restrict, you may only get like one or two people in an event. So a guy will go, yeah, I won production class. And it's like, oh, who'd you shoot against? Oh, it's just me. You know, and, right. and, and so where I think ELR being in on those early meetings uh, that were at SHOT Show in the different places and then the early sure. events and stuff, they always looked at it like, well, yeah, okay, What's the goal of the shooter, the three by three? You know, we want to do your cold bore, your three hits on command. Where you know, a PRS guys can 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 have a, an event with a forty five percent hit rate for the top mm -hmm. guy, and everybody right. goes, "Oh, no big deal." You know, so and so won. And it's like, yeah, it was a forty five percent hit rate. You know, right. it, it's it's not practical. That that was a bad example. But then, you know, like the ELR people are going, you know, if this is to be valid to what we're doing, because we all know it, it, given given money, really, the biggest issue is money. And a lot of people are pouring yeah. tons and tons of money in. If you just let me shoot a lot, I can skew the, 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 the verbiage. You know what I mean? If you let me just go out there sure. and shoot till I get a hit. And this is what happens with you guys with your practice, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, you'll go out and practice, and you'll do well, and all of a sudden somebody will go, yeah, but, yeah, but. You always get the yeah, but. Yeah, but how many sure. times, you know, just like you, you're trying to dope, um, 
you're trying to dope something at four miles and you've shot or yeah. was it four miles you shot? Yeah, we shot three point four and four both. Okay, um, so in practice. Right. Yeah. So you're trying to dope something at four miles. It's gonna take you some shots to locate it, to hit it. So if you added up everything during your initial practice, Somebody might say, well, that's impractical, but you know what? We see it in the same thing with a guy who dumps a box of 20 inside a thousand. Right. You know, think of how many people we've heard about or seen or come across that are throwing around at an 800 yard target and not, you know, throwing rounds at it and never hitting it. You guys are doing this at four miles and then you get people go, yeah, but, and and to me, they're not looking at the context of, you know, to to get data that far is going to require volume. Sure. You know, there's going to be required. Well, you know, I, I'm glad you talked. To, I'm glad you brought that up because you know, I, there's a lot of chatter on the internet. You know, a lot of it's been great. A lot of we've got a lot of support from sponsors, a lot of feedback from fellow competitors, and they a lot of people that understand ELR understand what we're doing. But it's not just going out and saying, "Yeah, we set a record." No, it's not anything like that. We've never claimed records. It's just practice. And we are learning a lot of information about ballistics, the solvers, um, how they compare and contrast, bullets, how they compare and contrast through trans and subsonic flight, scopes, um, shooter air, I mean, bubble can. I mean, all this stuff is magnified times 10 when you shoot three and four miles. And it's actually, you know, one of the things I learned, which I'll share with you, is light, you know, when we, we shoot a thousand yard at the world championships, one day could be 30 minutes of angle for a 308 at a thousand yards, zero. And next day it could be 31 just because of maybe a cloud going over a light transmission. You know, anybody that's shot competition knows when you shoot a thousand yards, you know, clouds can come over and it changes your sight picture. Well, you magnifying that to maybe one mile, two mile, three mile. It's unbelievable the difference that it has. And that's, that's really not in any books or any solvers, you know, there's a lot of things that we've learned through practicing at these longer distances that we've implemented. And in 2019, you know, my team finished very well, you know, first, third, and fourth out of 80 shooters. Well, there's a reason we put our, we put our work into practicing and communicating and all these things that people maybe not, they may not be looking at in a certain way. So there's a lot that goes into practicing out in the field at shooting real distances that you would compete at. Um, instead of maybe shooting at 500 yards, doing load development for the whole year, trying to get that really good group. But really, you, know, you shouldn't be practicing that. You should be going out and practicing two miles and understanding how to communicate effectively and quickly. You've been there. You've seen how difficult it is and how fast the winds can change. It's very challenging. And, um, you know, there are situations where teams get a, a lull or, you know, where you have a really calm condition. You, and you post a high score. But I think across the years of competing, the people that you've consistently seen the top five and top 10, you know, they're out there and they're practicing out at the distances that they're competing at. And they're learning all these little infinite things that make huge differences. And then not only that, you know, we're in direct um, communication with all the companies, you know, and they are making changes to their products. They are improving in their engineering and, making improvements and we're learning um you know you talk about ballistics you know i know brian he's doing these real world demonstrations and shooting out with his radar and he's tweaking his uh, engines and you know barrel makers are changing their barrels and scope manufacturers they're increasing elevations and you know a lot of things are happening and it's fun it's a fun time to be in elr and it's a fun time to be in rifle competitions and uh, i'm excited you know to to see where it goes. Yeah, and I mean, I and I could tell you, and I have it on film a lot. You've seen me at the matches in in filming, and and I go back and look at some of that stuff. And uh, it the the communication side of it when guys are close but not quite there is is a huge component to it. Um, you know, you 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 see teams that that might make it to the top ten, and then. It's like, you know, they get that that change in condition and that makes it sportier and all of a sudden they just crumble because they can't talk to each other to walk that guy in on a plate or to explain what they're seeing. Sure. So a lot of them just go off of what they did before and it, and it's out of whack, sure. you know, it's it's outside of their 
like I, I have noticed where you'll get the team doesn't see it, but then the spectators do, you know? So right. you got so many spectators watching because like at King of Two Mile, it, it's one team at a time with just the two, you know, alternating there. And so there'll be 50 spectators and then two teams up on the line. Well, yeah. you'll get that team go out there, and, and I mean, you you saw it with, when Mark Lonsdale got bit with his, you know, he had that friggin' half MOA group at a mile on the frame sure. of the of the of the target, but nobody saw the hits because the frame right. just the way it absorbed it. And, yeah. and and so you know, what do you do in a case where here this guy shot this this rock star group, but it doesn't count. And they're not seeing sure. it, you know. The camera people, like we're we were in the back, um, in the tent, watching Mark shoot, and the camera can see it, but you guys don't have access to any of that. So right. you're 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 like, oh, I don't see it. Meanwhile, it's absorbing through the frame of the of the target, and it's just sinking into that frame, and the frame's hiding right. it from you. So it's, you know, and that and that's and that's interesting that you bring that up because you know when you talk about recreational shooting, um, there's a lot of people across the country that that I've that are friends of mine that they're not interested in doing competing. They're hunters, and they're they do exhibition shooting, and they have a good time just going out and trying to hit stuff a long way away to learn the art of extreme long range, and then apply that knowledge into their hunting hobby, and that's perfectly fine. You know, and there's instruments now that we have the target vision, the long shot camera system that goes beyond two miles. We can literally have your camera and I use it for practice. And, you know, so basically it's the same system that you saw at King of two mile, except for you. It's on your iPad in front of you or your, um, iPhone or your smart tablet, whatever, you know, though that technology is available today where it can be utilized, um, for these types of things. And, it's exciting to see where this is all going. I'm sure you use that now, Frank, and your training and and your, uh, you know, in the yeah. And the I mean, we comes- I have the camera systems and always have. I I don't use it as much today because I mean I don't shoot personally with me. I mean, there's a little bit of stuff going on mm-hmm. past a mile, and my mile target I could spot really easy because we're open desert sure. up here, and so to right. shoot a mile and I can back up to you know 2800 uh, on my right. range. But it's easy to spot, you know, sure. and I can put these things on. So, but yeah, talk about your the training because you, you had said, you know, how guys, and, and, and this was a good example, you know, where's your focus today? Where it was, go back four years ago, you had a focus in sure. a training that took place. Today, because of your experience, you've now modified that training. And like one of the, the greatest nuggets you just said, don't yeah. shoot for groups close. Shoot reality. Shoot far. And yeah, get you it. know, so I, I just, you know, I'll kind of relate this. I went to my first PRS match. I've just observed um, up at MTC in Michigan. There was a PRS match I observed. And there was a lot of similarities that I watched people struggle with. Not hearing all the, direct, the courses of fire correctly. Not using time management. Not communicating well. You know, so basically... I go back to the, the U S team days when, when myself and Ray were running the U S team, we ran, um, our training to standard, meaning that we basically set up these simulated matches. So whenever you're going out in training, I highly recommend people to go out and shoot the distances that they would normally shoot in competition, getting on a timer and shooting within the time limits and time constraints that you would shoot in competition and then videotaping yourselves so that you can review it afterwards and, and pick out little issues or maybe inconsistencies that you're seeing, whether it be your communication to each other, the language that you're using, misunderstandings of communication to each other, your shooting uh, fundamentals, your mechanics. Maybe you're doing different things with your rifle, maybe more more cheek pressure, less cheek pressure, more, sh- more shoulder pressure, less shoulder pressure. Maybe your body position's shifting during your string of fire. Maybe you're bags are coming out of alignment maybe you're not watching your bubble and watching your can't you know at these extreme ranges all that stuff is a miss so you have to do all that perfectly and better than you normally do instead of a thousand yards it's just it's just a magnified 
you know, five times more of a miss than what it would be inside of a thousand yards. So that's where we really focused our attention is micromanaging all those little things when we're shooting to, to be much better and to be quicker. You know, we talked about wind. You don't have time to be debating on what, where you thought the shot was. You don't, the, the winds just change then when you shot, it better be instant. You know, there's no communication. Even it's just, Hey, you know, one mil right, send it. Yeah. That's it. There's I, no debate, no debating. I want to go to the mechanics of uh, real quick um, with sure. the training side because I'm surprised you guys aren't because you're using big giant F class guns. Your gun is a big giant F class gun, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's 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 right. a, it's a three times bigger F class gun. You, it's an FTR rifle on steroids. Right. Well, you cannot. Like most guys with the Charlie Tirac helps a little bit and different pieces right. of equipment. You guys cannot mechanically execute the shot correctly. And there's a huge video of you and I was going to use it and show it to you, but right. uh, like yeah. losing your entire hand off the grip and the trigger, you press the trigger, the rifle recoiled out from underneath you, your hand yeah. immediately flies off. And then you get guys, one of the guys, it wasn't, I wasn't there at last year's. I think it was the year sure. before one of the guys in the top 10, and I don't know his name. I'd have to go back and look. He's in the top 10. He can't, he has no cheek weld. He can't right. right? So he's shooting his scope, sort of hovering his head behind it. And right. he's got no cheek weld and he's executing a shot. You got guys that are coming right. completely off the gun. Why wouldn't you build a different platform and a different system that allows you to mirror your hand up and use like aluminum and build something? Maybe it's flat bottom so it recoils correctly, but there's got to well, be a, think, a change in the grip. Sure. You know, when we do, we film each other and we watch those things. When you're training out in the desert and you have all the time in the world and you're not, you don't have hundreds of people watching you, you're not on the clock, you're not running into issues with wind. You know, when you do run into those situations in real world competition, you know, you might be rushing because it's a really good wind condition and you want to get shots off as fast as you can. You know, we've looked at those scenarios and it may look really bad on film, but obviously the point is you're just trying to rip them down range and your communication yeah, but it's gets still, messed up. I mean, the you, bipods are too small for the guns you're using because, like, I'll give you, you know, a great example. When I was there, like Oscar, the guy who shoots the 50 cal. In right. his own little wildcat version, and when I was there two years ago, it was the last, it was the first time he made it to the top ten, and he's tried every year. Well, then when I'm right. watching him, he's canting the rifle because he's using like a regular bipod that's partly sure. loose, and he's pulling the gun over, <laughs> and and he's canting because, I mean, you, you talk about that. Well, you got to check your bubble. You got to check your cant. You got to check your bubble. Why would you not build well, a bipod? Are, yeah, but well, why those are all. Yeah, those are all things that in a normal in a training environment, in a static environment, it's all great because everything's perfect because you have the time. Yeah, but, but why wouldn't you You know, as build? well as anybody, when you, when you go on the line and you're under pressure, things can change, right? Yeah, but why People wouldn't can, you build a bipod that won't can't? If you, well, if you, you, know, that, if you lock the bipod good. down, the rifle won't can't, but you guys are using bipods right. that are designed for F-class. Yeah, that well, that's that's something that is evolving. There's companies that are looking at you know developing bipods, and now there's a new rule change for bipod for 2020 for King of Two Mile. They they're going to go to a tactical bipod, and it's got to fit in, inside of an eight inch wide box. So that's a whole other topic of discussion. Yeah, that that's even crazy, I'm man. Probably, but I'm probably not going to get into that, but you know, to answer your question, you know, we we try to we try to have proper mechanics each and every shot. We try to keep the, you know, the rifle good, good up and down, you know, with no canting going on. And we try to have breaking good shots each and every time. But the reality is when you're shooting competition, you might be in a situation where the wind is really steady and you're trying to rip them off down range and you might get, you know, misunderstanding. With well, but that's, what I mean, you could build a chassis system that would yeah. support the rifle better. So when you're ripping that bolt quicker and you're running a well, bolt faster, you're not pulling yourself out of position. Because what well, you're talking about is your speed to compromise your body sure. position. So, but on the other hand, if you if you look at facts, 
you know, last year, the top four at King of Tumal were all McMillan and Manners stocks. Yeah, but that's just because you're all shooting it. Well, there is no saying, variation. If, if all you no, guys are shooting the same saying, thing. All I'm saying, though, is that they performed better than the chassis but stocks. that's yeah but nah but you see what you're looking at <laughs> you're you're looking at a, 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 a because mcmillan built a stock that's bigger the chassis have not been built to match the mcmillan stock nobody's building an elr chassis you guys are just using a kdex well i mean you're we, using there, a kdex 30 there are kdex stocks and but they're no stocks. bigger they're no bigger well, you might see something come out in the future. Yeah, but well, we're not there that. So you can't say you're basically right. saying, well, this like a guy came on my site and said, well, you you have to shoot MOA to win King of Two Mile because it's finer and M MOA is a bigger is a big <laughs> is bigger in King of Two Mile. Well, then yeah. I go, well, wait a minute, they're all F class shooters. Of course they shoot MOA. Yeah, Robert Brantley well, wasn't shooting I MOA. No, I would say that's just like a language. It's whatever you're familiar with. I right? understand that. But what I'm saying is it's the number is a guy saying, yeah. well, you like you said, look, more people are winning with McMillan. Well, McMillan built a stock that more people are using, number one. Well, all I'm saying is that currently, right now, they have those stocks and those weapon systems and right. platforms have done much better. And until... Well, Someone because we've something. got history now, too. How many years have sure. been King of Two Miles been going on? 2015. Okay, so you got five years of King of Two Mile. If yep. scores did not improve, you would be doing something wrong. So to say they've improved yeah. is, a, is, is to say, well, that's a factor of repetition, not necessarily a factor of increase. Well, I, think, I think that we've got better ballistics. Better optics, better stock. Sure. Better, but you know we've got better platforms. But you're not. That, you don't have better shooters. Well, I think we're learning. I think we're getting better at ballistics. I think we're getting better at understanding how to perform in the in the right, sport. Right, because we have a, we have a huge amount of volume of rounds yeah. going two thousand yards now. Before right. you know, year one, we may have only had. You know, 10% of all these rounds were shot at 2,000 yards. Well, this year, that might be 70% of these rounds have been shot at 2,000 yards. So when you, you have... Know, we had a, we had a spear point just uh, what, a week or two ago. I heard that, um, gosh, um, I, I'm going to butcher his name, but there was an individual in Kansas spear point that cold board 3,000 yards. So that's... That's exciting. I like to hear that when yeah, I hear absolutely. people excelling. So, you know, I'm hearing these things all across the country and all over uh, the place. But that's like PRS guys, though. I mean, like I said, you know, they moved yeah. to a 26 pound, six millimeter. They've got, yeah. you know, they created the bags. They got the, uh, right. the the Arca systems that are there. They got right. the tables. They got the um right. the plates, the gray ops plates. So they've sure. built all these things that now make it so when they shoot a barricade, they, they're shooting a barricade in 30 seconds on a clean run. Right. Well, because, yeah, that, that's going to happen naturally. But what I'm saying is, does, does that make it practical or better, the fact that if I take a game-changer bag and take a 6-millimeter with a MDT chassis and put the weight system in on it, so now I make right. my 6-millimeter 25 pounds, I put it on a bag and I drop it on a bag and then I lower my trigger to eight ounces and then I just kind of line up the reticle and tap the trigger, tap the trigger, tap the trigger. Well, you right. could say, well, gee, Frank cleaned it in 30 seconds, but I didn't do, right. I didn't do anything. I used, the, I used better equipment that I paid for and then I actually used less fundamentals because I stood to the side and free recoiled sure. Is it. Yeah. I'm, well, I think, you know, it, it's a good question that you bring up. Yeah. Whether or not whether whether or not there's something better, I guess remains to be seen. Um, I'd love to be able to compare and contrast anything that somebody comes up with. I do that on a regular regular basis. But I would for me, if you were to ask me that question, I'd say, well, you know what? Um, let build me a couple of these rifles and we'll take them out, we'll shoot about two miles and we'll put it on a simulated match under time and we'll see what kind of scores I could shoot. That'd be the only way I would switch. If it was something, if I could beat myself with another tool, I would switch. Right, right. But I mean, Is think about it. Enough? It would be the same barreled action. 
You're just putting it sure. in a, diff a different... What, what, what I'm talking about is basically managing the recoil of these giant guns a little bit better because recoil is, is going to be your biggest factor. And sure. if you could, like you were saying, like the 33XC wins overall, well, that's a big push of David Tubbs. It's a more manageable gun for the shooter. Oh, that was that was in a McMillan stock too. The the well, but it doesn't matter the <laughs> stock. I'm talking caliber. I'm talking the, no, the, I'm, the smaller I'm caliber. Teasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Um, the the he, what it is is that guy has less influence of recoil because he's using a smaller caliber than most people. He has a yeah. A, 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 I mean, there's there's a lot of variables, right? So there's this big argument of shooting big bullets slow and piling with a low BC and I'm sorry, with a high BC right, and floating them like a, really, a softball, you know, like, like a big old pumpkin going down range with no wind drift, or you want to shoot the laser, you know, a, a faster flight time, um, still pretty good BC. You know, there's this argument of all these different things. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's a personal preference, when you practice in the field shooting distances, you learn what works better. I kind of go to the journeyman, right? I'm out in the desert putting my time in, and I'm trying all these different things, and I'm practicing, and I'm videotaping myself, and I can start to see what's working better in the field. What did That's you change based on that? What, like, Name a big change you made based on real-world observations. Did you go to a lighter bullet? Um, did you go to a heavier no, bullet? Did you go to no the load the load development that we originally did way back when we first started is what we're still using today. The so this is kind of interesting. So the load development that we did at 500 yards and a thousand, pretty and, and very low wind conditions at 500 and a thousand. Me and Derek Rogers both found our loads, and it was very similar. Two different platforms, same load. So. There's two different rifles, same load. So we stuck with that. The only thing we've changed in the last three years has been our communication, our historic data, and our communications way quicker now. Um, so those are the things we've changed. We've actually changed um, the process of spotting and our ballistics and our communication. So what, it, what, but what in the ballistics changed? If the bullet and the load um, hasn't changed in three years, what ballistically are our, you changing? Just our historic, our historical data. We've got more historical data from shooting competitions at different locations. And we're, we're, we're coming up with our environmentals and we utilize that. But we then also, we take in some historical data to kind of. Are, are you, are you finding like, you, you know, you were generally, uh, you know, uh, oh, we were consistently 3M away low. So now ballistically, when you go out there, are you saying, well, we're going to add a minute to what we saw? Yes. So stuff yes. like that. So you're basically yeah, re-guessing, right. but you're, you're taking trends and you're, and, and, well, and you're taking, reading the trends better. But it, yes, we're reading trends better, but we're also, we're taking historical data of a certain bullet and a certain speed at a certain location, station pressure, and that's all identical. And, you know, it's, I guess it's truing your environmentals, right? But we're getting, we've have historical data that we're inputting in that. And it's, it, we're getting better. We're getting better at predict predictions. And, um, you know, I'm not as smart as Brian Litz. I'm just kind of old school in it. You know, I'm keeping a data book and keeping information and, um, that seems to be working very well. So, so you know, kind of old school marine data book, right? You know? Right. Well, that's what I've been advocating forever that we should be going back to. I think we're getting lost in computers, and the more I kind of see in in you quiz someone who should have some rough information in their head, they they can't retrieve it without their phone. Right. Um. So that's right. that's an issue. But um, now you said you you kind of from moving from you know, Team A B to yourself to to GPG. Yep. What, what what did you change? training wise because you, you've mentioned that you've adapted your training over the last two years sure. i think mainly just we've been taking trips out to nevada and practicing in the desert shooting two three and four miles and training to standard you know shooting matches simulated matches out in the desert and uh analyzing you know our def deficiencies um and analyzing what we were doing wrong and trying to make it better and working at one thing at a time you know become trying to do one thing at a time better. And I've, you know, we, in 
different years, we focused on certain things. Like the first year, we I just focused a whole year on spotting and how to become a better spotter, what the best optics to use, the most stability, how to do it, where to sit around the shooter, how to communicate better. You know, all those things helped us. And then another year we worked on, you know, trying to marry up our loads and, and picking something worked well for everybody in communication process. So we've been working on these, focusing on these just little things. They may seem like a little thing, but it helped us. No, I, I kind of have a, um, cause so what I'm looking or what I'm getting at is it almost sounds like, you know, the weapon system is so good. You know, your load is good. And you re you recognize that you're making some fundamental mistakes because the recoil is yep. knocking you off. But you, are you finding that if you shoot the reality, the real life world, that it's actually a lot more forgiving if you focus down range more so than like because basically how you were training before at your five hundred and a thousand, you're yep. doing you're doing a group shot mentality, right? You're practicing repetitions at five hundred and a thousand. Which you know, which yeah, is a lesson I, in frustration versus. I think I, I think um, from what I understand, what you're saying is the the difference of training to standard out to distance is that I've got a thousand more times of watching the trace and the spot where I'm all those things I'm seeing over and over and over. My eyes and my brain are coming more accustomed to seeing that yep, and so putting a value on it. Right. So when I see Mirage and I see vegetation moving, that same bullet we've been shooting for four years now, I know what it is, it's like the back of my hand. Now, I did 308 for almost, what, 25 years of competition shooting FTR and, and Palma. And you just learn in your head. You know what the, when you look out there, you just know. Right, what it you is. can picture the trajectory in your mind. You're seeing yeah, that's, it. You're that's, seeing it because you've done it so many times. Absolutely. So it's no different than ELR. The problem is, it's hard to get training in spots where you can shoot two, three miles. Right. Because, mo like myself in Michigan, I don't have no place I can go train. So it takes a lot of money to travel. So that's the biggest, I think, hurdle in ELR is training to standard, shooting two and three miles. Um, guys like David Tubb that has his own personal range in Texas, he can just walk on his back door and shoot, you know, a mile, a mile and a half, no problem. But for guys that live in heavy vegetated areas and don't have the private land to go do that, it's difficult. Well, and I think that's kind of nope. weird why you see what some of the PRS guys, because they, they're visualizing that 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 trajectory that movement and they know like with me you know we, and we'll talk about this before we sign off later because you're, you're going to be playing part of the gathering um and so i had the gathering out here last year right and you know i'm talking with some of the army guys uh from the schoolhouse and in the car i had the valkyrie so he's like blah 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 with the valkyrie i said oh dude i'll shoot the mile right now with it and i right. went in the car and got it i know i needed 25 mil for the valkyrie to right. hit the mile because it's my range I know sure. what I'm doing, and I second round hit it a Valkyrie at a mile. Sure. You know, so it's because I know it. It's not knocking Absolutely. me off. I can line up. So I understand that real world because I, you know, this is the thing that I'm kind of getting at, and, and it's not a you thing. It's, it's a general sure. that people see the book stuff. People read, you know, whether it's Brian's books or something else and don't realize yeah. that's sort of giving you the recipe. This is what's right. in the pie. But when you're right. out there shooting it, making it, baking it, the reality sure. is a lot more forgiving. Yeah. And once you're able to picture what you're seeing downrange and then you go, okay, I missed here, you know why you missed over there. And then sure. you can say, well, wait a minute. I missed there. The target is there. I need to move, you know, two fingers to the right. Okay. Right. And you shift over your two fingers and you know, well, maybe it's a, a case of, hey, the wind's doing this. But me and you both know um, yeah. in, in the scope, through my scope, I'm two fingers left. But the reality mm -hmm. is in order to make that shot and correct it for the next one, because as you said, everything's changing immediately because it takes sure. so long. I'm going to go right. two and a half fingers left or yeah. right. And I'm going to give it that little extra because the wind's playing a weird game. And mm -hmm. so I think that's kind of where I'm getting at is that people are crunching numbers and saying one thing, but the reality when you yeah. go out and shoot it is different. 
Yeah, I think my take on it is, um, and I'll use the uh, 2018 King of Two Mile, for example. You know, we had three of us, Duncan Davis, Robert Bellet, and myself. We all hit impacted two miles within five shots. Me and Duncan did it on our second shot, and I think Brantley did it on his fourth shot. But that was a great success. We had three out of ten hit two miles within five shots. Um, the conditions were a little better. Well, after that King of Two Mile was over, I literally put my rifle, disassembled it, and put it in a put it in a, a uh, case and, and put it in the AB trailer. They trailered it back to um, Michigan, and then the next month we did the NRA National Championships. I never got a zero. I never got velocity. Nothing. I put my rifle together. I was running late because I had some work work engagements. I didn't have time to do any preparation that we talk about. I literally put my rifle together. I had leftover ammo. I put my same 100-yard zero on as I had in Raton, which I know was probably a little off, but I didn't have nothing to go by. I just ran up my ballistics on my analytics and my uh, Kestrel, put it all in there, made a cheat sheet, and I won the national championship that year. Now, could I have won it if I wouldn't have done that? Probably not. I mean, the ballistics did work, and I and that was my first time that I could actually say, the stuff works. Now, I would say to the beginners, I'd say learn the ballistics and understand where you need to be to get close. But to make yourself better, you need to go out there and you put the time in to shoot at real distances and learn the wind for your bullet and learn to see the read the trace and the spots because that really is going to be the key to becoming a better team and a better shooter is putting the time in at real distances um, to be able to do all those things we talked about. Uh, it's, and it, the thing is, wind changes and light changes are so difficult at extended ranges. I mean, you really are. Once you see that first shot go down range, you better be a really fast spotter and give a quick change. And it's pretty much just a machine gun at that point. I was just going to say, you're tells, walking in quicker. And, and it's I, I just did this two days ago or you know a couple of days. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead and finish. But yeah, I'll bring well, up. Well, I was just going to say, you know... <laughs> If somebody tells me that they can read the mirage at two miles and read the wind speed at two miles, uh, I think, you know, come win the match and show me how you do it. Well, yeah, you're not. I mean, but the thing, like, I'll give an example to everybody. So I put together two rifles and, and I did the AIs this week and I was going to shoot a video. Well, I was too damn lazy in the way the wind was. I didn't put a paper up at 100 yards. So I mounted yeah. scopes. I put these two rifles. I switched scopes around. I put my... Um, I sent a, a, a 5 to 27, zero compromise into Jeff Uber. He changed radicals for me. So that went on my AX. Then I go and I, I moved the other zero compromise, the 4 to 20, onto my AT. Well, then what I did is, is Adam just put a berm up at 200 yards, and there was a dark little spot of a hole. I put, it, I put a couple rounds on the dirt where, by the hole, and I got it to where it was there. Then I went over to 600 yards, and I put it on the plate there, but then after that, for the video, I did a thousand yards. I never zeroed the gun. I just sort of walked it in, and then once I got it on at a thousand yards, I shot sure. my video. And right. I never redoped it or redid it. But yeah, I mean, this is, and I get, I, I just think yeah. part of the thing is it's 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 a little bit more forgiving than people realize because yeah. they're getting information overload where. Sure. You're right, though. The reality of the real world experience is now letting yeah. you picture that that trajectory. Is is it's you know you're tweaking ballistics, you're tweaking your ballistics based off of your experience. Yeah. Yep. I think another thing we did too, Frank, was we really took more time um, at the beginning of our practice sessions. We were very religious into you know, using our lab radars and getting really accurate velocities and then programming in all the data from our Kestrel at the moment we were going to shoot. I think a lot of guys, they get lackadaisical and the temperature comes up, the station pressure changes, all those little in incremental inputs. It's paramount that you update your information before you shoot. I think you can become, your cold bore impacts will be closer to the targets You'll have more accurate data moving forward that you can change. But, you know, starting from scratch, getting all that information and information uh, um, inputted correctly into your um, ballistic solver 
And then once you start shooting, having a more of a sense of urgency and quick commands and quick fundamentals, I think between both of those things, I think that really will uh, help people getting. Uh, so you're under the mindset that you you got to beat the conditions and, and you got to do the, the speed. So you're under that mindset that you have to beat the conditions and, and just race. Your, well, I your... think we have to be more, we have to be up to date with the condition, right? Mm-hmm. To get the accurate solution to be closer that first round because that, you know, at a mile and a half or two miles, you know, if you don't have the correct solution where you're even close enough to see an impact, you're not going to even be able to adjust because you won't be able to see it. Right, right. So you have to be, you have to know the ballistics well enough to be close enough with your first round. And then when you have to be good enough and practiced up of seeing those, what it looks like at those longer ranges to be able to see the um, impact, to be able to adjust. So all that is, I think tempo is huge in that. You have to be very, very quick um, because, you know, the wind's, the wind's changing and, and it's hard to see those changes. I mean, last year at King of Two Mile, we had a lot of elevation because it had a tailwind and guys were, you know, just way out the top and way out the bottom so far that they couldn't see their first and second shots. Right. And it was pretty much, they just timed out and they, well, you get that thermal up the wall too, that everybody hang on. uh, Paul, hang on one second. Hold on one second. I got to stop this here. So where we leave off. Yeah, we're back. So no, I just, like I said, I just, I, 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 I see the, the, the events kind of, I see people adapting to what they're seeing and they're in their changing stuff. I just don't see this, the, the, the focus being put on, the shooter, and I think a lot of these guys are falling down because they want the equipment to do the work for them. Yeah. But, it, the, the, I mean, when we know it can work. P, if PRS yeah. taught us anything, if I can take a 26-pound, a 6-millimeter and smoke a course of fire that a guy with a 308 is going to be, you know, in 50th place, we know yeah. equipment has a bearing. So um, my thing is I, I don't see the systems changing to help modify the, the shooter errors that we see because of these big giant guns recoiling? Well, I mean, that's a good question, you know, and that's a good debatable topic. I'm sure there's yeah, a lot of people just some a different direction. On, on the sniper hide. You know, it'll be a lot, of, a lot of people debate, you know, types of weapons and platforms. You know, it's interesting to me because I'm a longtime competitive shooter. You know, I was brought up, you know, high power, long range, Palma, F-class, um, and then now I'm getting into ELR and I'm, I'm going to start doing PRS too. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I look at F class and, you know, they've been dominating with, you know, fiberglass style stocks, really high precision, uh, bench rest type accuracy, you know, three to five inch groups at a thousand, you know, they're really small groups, all from the prone positions, a different, totally different discipline than PRS. Um, they both have their, um, challenges. You know, I watched the PRS match this, uh, just yesterday. I'm very excited and I'm, was very, um, impressed with what I saw and I'm excited to get involved and, you know, different application, obviously, but you wouldn't, but you right. wouldn't take your F class gun and just no. re rechamber it to a, a six millimeter or a six, five Creed and go no, shoot it. In a, absolutely in a, not. Right. But no. what ELR different did was take ELR just took your F class gun and made it bigger. Right. Well, you know, we are shooting from the prone and we have to do micro adjustments for elevation and we have time. uh, Well, not a lot of time, but we do have time to adjust our scopes and bipods and rearrange ourselves to get in a stable platform position. So, you know, I'm not sure. We'll see how things go in the future. But as it stands right now, like I mentioned, factually, you know, the platforms that are winning, you know, they're pretty similar. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I do. I get it. But I just think that when you watch them, it's not something in, in, in this was something like I, I brought where I went to a, a thing and, and Eduardo had a little piece in on it and he showed like three different shooters. And this was this was coming off of them where he has one guy that's doing a Palma type position where he's doing the little green yeah. army man off to the side. He has another guy that's doing whatever in the middle. And then he has a guy straight behind the rifle. And he says, well, which one's right? And then he goes, well, they're all right because they all won something. And to me, that's the wrong way of doing it. You know, it's like, well, they're all not right because they won something. They all just. Yeah. I I mean, I 
you know, I've ran into this before with the U.S. team. We had a lot of guys that were different type of structured bodies and different ailments, right? Right. And um, I would always say, just get comfortable. And sure. And you, if you can, if you can lay down and you can, and you can shoot all day and not be fatigued and not fight, you know, spasms in your legs because it's been broken in a certain place. You know, just get comfortable. And the main thing is with fundamentals is is consistency, right? Right. Like, if you're consistent, that's the name of the game. You know, some people are have proper body position, but they're not consistent. They might be having their arm in a different spot every time, or maybe they have different shoulder pressure, or maybe they're jerking the hell out of the trigger. You know, I don't know. There's just consistency is more important than I think maybe somebody's ideal posture. Yeah, well, and that's just it. The the thing is, is yes, we and and that kind of brings me right back around where this is a hell of a lot more forgiving if you have the repetitions and the consistency to recognize yes. it. You're recognizing Absolutely. a pattern, and you're saying Absolutely. my pattern is this. Where everybody right. then wants to go into these books and say, "Well, I need aerodynamic jump. I need this. I need that. I need the other thing." It's like, well, you really sure. don't. All you need is a number. And if your number for two miles fluctuates, you know, four M away in conditions, because right. yeah. it's going to fluctuate. Sure. So you need to recognize yeah, bottom that. Bottom line, Frank, is bottom line is there's no replacement for practice. I yes. mean, if you practice the standard, that guy is probably going to win. He's going to probably going to beat you every time. And, and that's know? the thing is go out there and shoot it as it's an actual comp and don't necessarily yeah. practice shooting groups at 500 and a thousand go out and actually right. shoot a mile and beyond because you want to you want to start burning in that pattern yeah you know and it's not just the ballistics it's it's training your eyes to see the trace and mm-hmm. spot and communicate it's all those other things that have as you well know if you watch the team shoot you could i mean anybody everybody can see on the line that you know they're not communicating very well they're misunderstanding yeah. each other the the shooter's getting um, upset and embarrassed, and he's and his his lose his position's going because he's concentrating on other things. There's just all whole gamut of things that can start developing when we're not doing things that are working right. So when you practice training to standard, and you're practicing under these, um, you know, very the guidelines that you would shoot in the competition. If you're training to those standards, you keep and you hold yourself in check. You don't cheat either. You know, because it's easy to go out on our own and wait for a lull, early morning, no wind, going out, and you just have all the time in the world, and you're just trying to shoot a good group to post on the internet. We've all done it. It's okay. It's fun. But that's not what's going to win you a competition. You need to train in heavy winds, on a clock, at distance that you're going to shoot. In comp- that's what's going to win you a competition because you're, you're getting real practice and real standards. Yep. Yep. Makes sense, man. Makes perfect sense. And and again, I think, you know, like with the F-class type of crossover, you, you have like this half-inch little stem that sticks up for your bipod that then comes out a foot on each side, but it's yeah. it's held on a little bitty stem. <laughs> and, well, and, we've I'm actually working with uh, tactical bipods now because this new rule change. So it's going to be interesting. I would cradle know. the bottom of your flat bottom stock. And then I would make it where you're just going to, where, where once you drop your rifle into your position, you know where you're going to shoot from. Yeah. And then you lock it straight then. Then it needs to be locked. So when right. you're running the bolt, it's not moving and canting the rifle. You know what I mean? Because what's right. gonna, once you set it up and you lock it down, where is that cant coming from? Sure. The can't's coming from maybe you. maybe running hot loads and you have to bang on the bolt. Well, that's what I mean, <laughs> and that's what knocks everybody out of whack, and that's where a can't comes from. A bubble's not going to save yeah. anybody when the can't is coming from the bubbles t- is just informing you yes or no. The bubbles sure. not fixing yeah. anything, yeah. and and so to me it should be well. I put my rifle down. I'm I'm in line getting ready to shoot. You're, you're shooting in front of me. I'm shooting after you. Well, then I want a bipod that's going to let me, like a T&E, lock in place and then tighten down. Sure. And then I can run the bolt, and that bipod should be supporting the rifle. Yeah. In a, in, in a, in a, not only up and down, but left and right. Then 
I can focus on the spotting and the trues and the rifle should should recoil and if you if you design the legs on the bipod well it should recoil mm-hmm. in in a predictable manner or a more predictable manner cuz the, the the biggest thing for you guys is recoil yeah you know yeah i mean there's just so many things to practice and work yeah. on and uh it's uh you know those are interesting things that you mentioned you know what's interesting though is the king of two miles the only event that i know of right now that's restricted to tactical bipods which is fine it'll get us all kind of into that realm of tactical bipods and working with them um other organizations are leaving it open for whatever you want to do so they'll probably stick with the same type of um you know f style or f class style bipods which is fine but you know it's it's opening the door to more things and more ideas and get people thinking and i'm hoping that opening up more classes like we talked about with uh, light ELR. And, you know, we had 10 military snipers that came to the NRA match last year and they did their personal best at this competition. I went the day before and we worked on ballistics and kind of the same thing I'm talking to you about is preparing, understanding what the ballistics are, preparing a lot of these little things that people overlook. You know, I went through a day with them beforehand and they went on the next day and there was several of them they had their personal best cold bore along a shot. So, you know, it does work. It does help. And I think the more people practice and the more people understand about the science of accuracy and, and train to standard, I think they're getting better, you know? Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, the more you do it, it repetition is going to win, you know, then that's the sure. thing is you want to get more people to go out there and practice it. The reality, go out there and do it. And, and, and take care of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's volume, you know, the more you along, the- sure. A long time ago, you know, well, I should say 10, 15 years ago, you know, I had some mentors of mine. Um, well, Ray Gross is one of them and John Droy, my buddies, but you know, they told me a long time ago, you know, don't, when I first started shooting competitive shooting way back in the Palma days, the nineties, you know, they said, you get a half minute load. That's good enough. Now just go out and practice wind and learn wind, you know, and that's, was the mentality. Well, I would say that still the truth today, you know, once you get a half minute rifle, don't sit there and spend your whole year trying to get that extra third minute of accuracy. You know, that's not what's going to win a competition. What's going to win a competition is going out and practicing and learning the wind and learning spotting and learning ballistics and learning what, how to put rounds on steel. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Because you do get people who do the endless load development and don't go out and shoot in a practical manner. And and we're always or, or trying guys to... that are trying to come up with a different cartridge every year. Yeah, you know? there's that too. It's big the next, time. It's the next best everything. And you know, just go take your rifle and go shoot and learn. You know, and so that's kind of what I my thought process on this thing. You know, um, is just go out there and and have fun and practice and. You know, don't lie to yourself, train within the standard and keep yourself in check and videotape yourself and watch yourself. And that's kind of what we've been doing. And it's been working out pretty well. Nice. Nope. That's an awesome place to stop off. I got you for the hour, man. And that's that's about where we usually are. So um, I appreciate cool, it. Man. Go plug what you got a plug coming up. I know you got competitions and things happening. So if you got some plugs yeah. and some sponsors out there. Give them a plug, but then we'll, we'll call it good, man. This has been a great topic of discussion. Yeah, man. No, uh, you know, the 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 longtime sponsors that have been with me from the beginning, you know, we got Night Force, McMillan, Burger, Cutting Edge, um, Bartline Barrels, Bad Actions. I'm going to be doing a PRS uh, Jim Borden action. That's going to be a new sponsor for me, so I'm excited about that. The Super 6 with the 6BRA. I'm really excited with that. You know, obviously, Lapua Brass, Vitifery Powder. Um, Lab Radar is a new sponsor coming in, Kestrel. Um, I'm probably missing a lot, but, you know, those those longtime pillar relationships, um, I'm really proud to to be winning with those guys and sticking with them and, you know, not, not just leapfrogging every year to get something for free, but, you know, standing by a, a sponsor and, and showing that their products are, you know, very repeatable and consistent. Um, just want to say thanks to those guys. Awesome. Awesome, man. Oh, I appreciate you coming on and reaching out for this. This w- this was a good, good, t- uh, discussion. I think people should pick up a lot of nuggets about going up and doing it and, and don't, you know, be that, 
that group shooter and focus on just that stuff, get out and branch out to, to different things and to see what it does. I mean, the, the more variety is, 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 is more knowledge. Yeah, man. I'm really looking forward to seeing you out there in a PRS match. Oh, not me, man. You're not going to see me. I mean, you might catch me. I go shoot them, but no, I, I only, I pick and choose, dude. I, I'm not, my training schedule is so crazy. I, I shot, um, I shot competition dynamics. I'll probably do cause they do ones at the end of the year. George invited me to his and, and it conflicts, uh, with my training. I, I get invites. I just yeah. can't go because I, I'm, I'm going to be, tra- I'm teaching. You know, um, you know the one the one big one, Frank. I, I don't want to forget is the Marine Corps Scout Sniper Association. You know, we're both members members of that, and they invited me to do a ELR clinic at the gathering in yep. October. So that's going to be a really big one, and I'm really excited to do that and help out you know, the military and hopefully give back and and that should be fun. I can't even make that because it conflicts with my training, so I'm not going to be at the gathering this year either. Well, we'll have to set something up. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Nope, I appreciate it. I'm gonna do the outro music. Stay on the line for a second, and then we'll be we'll be done, man. I I, I super appreciate it. All right. Hey, thanks, Frank. It's Thank you. Talking to you. Yeah, stay on, and we'll.